So I was sitting here tonight and I had the thought that I really don't want to make another podcast episode right now <laughs> because you heal to a certain point in mold avoidance and you just sort of get a grasp on it and you kind of want to move on. And that sort of happens to a lot of mold avoiders. That's one of the problems with mold avoidance is sometimes the new people <clears throat> don't get the right mentors because the experienced people kind of move on with their life and I don't blame them. But I was having a thought today as I was driving through some FRAT, that's F-R-A-T, that's going to be the topic of our podcast today, stands for Fire Retardant Associated Toxin. It doesn't mean that the fire retardant itself is the problem. You need to listen to the other podcast I have called Mold Plus Chemicals Equals Super Toxins, the fire retardant gets dropped on the forest and it changes the biome and does something to the mold and creates a super toxin or it's debatable whether it's a super toxin we'll get into that but anyway the thought that I had as I was driving through some frat is this is a really important topic like if people don't know about this it could be life-changing how can I not make a podcast about it and share and so I was actually changed from being bored and not wanting to make a podcast to being really excited about making one. And so I decided to make it right away so I wouldn't forget or lose my passion because <laughs> sometimes podcast episodes are most interesting when you're passionate about it. Okay, so um, we talk about a lot of toxins in mold avoidance, mold toxins. And if you listen to my other podcasts, you'll learn that most of us who have gone through mold avoidance eventually learn that everything boils down to toxins. Chronic fatigue syndrome, Lyme disease, Bartonella. I mean, if you have this this thing, this mold reactivity where you feel better when you get away from mold, the further down you climb down that rabbit hole, the more everything else falls away and all that's left is mold toxins. And you go, wow, everything that was wrong with me in my whole life was was because of mold. And I know you won't believe me because you're skeptical and I was skeptical but you'll see. Just give it a try. Talk to me in a couple years. So MT, it's the letters M like Mary, T like Tom. MT is just about the primary king supertoxin. That's the big bad boy that is <clears throat> believed sort of to be one of the main deep-rooted causes of how people get sick along with living in moldy buildings and other toxins. But we're not going to go into that. <clears throat> FRAT is either equal to MT or a little bit less important, less dangerous. Could depend on the situation. I'm going to go with a little bit less important, but not much. Um, in my last podcast, I talked about some scientific research that was done by Lisa Petrison of the Paradigm Change Organization. And she was able to trace that a lot of people with mold illness live in areas that have a, a, a lot of frat and a lot of mystery toxin also, one or the other or both. So we're pretty sure it's a root cause. Um, some people think that maybe mystery toxin, MT, is the one that opens the door for frat. Like mystery toxin kind of damages you <clears throat> and then you're susceptible to frat. And that may be, I don't really know. Maybe it is. Um, but it doesn't really matter because usually once you're far enough down the rabbit hole to waste an evening listening to this podcast instead of watching Netflix, you're already screwed up enough that you're going to be susceptible to frat. So 
looking at the origin of it is kind of an interesting hobby, but it might not be so practical. So <clears throat> one of the most important things that we talk about with toxins that you'll hear me hammer over and over again is how these toxins differ from each other. That's why we have these, <clears throat> these sorry, I just ate a power bar <clears throat> and I don't really have time or inclination to edit my podcast to get rid of some of this garbage, but that is why <clears throat> we name them, right? There would be no reason to name them if they weren't different. I know that some people who are experts in this don't really <clears throat> like to name them. But in my experience, naming them has been really valuable. And here's the reason. Because the differences in these toxins change how you deal with them and how they affect you. <clears throat> One of the ways, there's three primary ways that we can <clears throat> differentiate. Warning signs, after effects, and where it's found. <clears throat> so for example... Um, mystery toxin and frat have different warning signs. So you can learn, oh, I'm in mystery toxin. Oh, I'm in frat. Um, <clears throat> we don't tend to talk a lot about what those warning signs are because it's sort of different for different people and can be, um, <clears throat> distracting. I know people want the easy way out. They want to say, oh, I just want to know what the symptoms are. Well, a better way to do it is to have an experienced mold avoider tell you to go somewhere where there is a lot of frat or mystery toxin and learn what your own warning signs are. Now, don't bring all of your stuff because it could get contaminated, but that's one way to learn. <clears throat> so frat and mystery toxin are so different. They're so different in their warning signs, their after effects, and where they are found. One of the crazy things about frat is that it is very widespread. So if it's a problem for you, it can be 50, 100, 150 miles wide. You may not believe that. Um, and again, it's one of those things that you're going to argue with me about and, and complain and say it's impossible until you've done this for a few years <clears throat> and you get super sick in frat and you realize it. Now, Here's a fascinating thing about frat. And this is one of the things that drove me to make this podcast <clears throat> and why I think this is so important. I have been in touch with some of the smartest minds, in my opinion, in mold avoidance. And one thing that I see emerging that I am now about 95% convinced of is that frat is the main thing behind the neck condition that we call CCI that many chronic fatigue syndrome people have. Um, <clears throat> and that, so for those of you don't, who don't know, that stands for, <clears throat> sorry, I'm just having a hard time swallowing this power bar. It's in my throat. <clears throat> Craniocervical instability, CCI. It's a condition where the ligaments in the neck kind of get wobbly and unstable and it leads to a whole bunch of bad things happening in the brainstem that can cause paralysis and really bad things. And a lot of these mold avoiders and chronic fatigue syndrome patients end up going on, <clears throat> sorry, to get surgery and multiple surgeries for this condition. Obviously, head and neck surgery is very dangerous. So this is a really important topic. 
A lot of the symptoms in chronic fatigue syndrome can be reversible with mold avoidance, like viral type symptoms. But structural damage in the head and neck is a whole different thing, and especially side effects and sequelae from surgeries. So if there's a toxin that can cause someone to be more likely to need a head and neck surgery, that's something we need to talk about. That's worth a podcast. So when I was really sick in my mold house um, and became susceptible to these outdoor toxins, I had a lot of structural issues, tendon issues, connective tissue issues, heart issues, which is cardiovascular connective tissue, muscle tissue, knee, joints, Achilles, neck. I I had tons of neck injuries. So I have been out of frat for almost two years and going through it a lot over the last four days. If you listen to my last podcast, you'll see that I've been on an 8,000 mile road trip in four weeks, driving 16 hours a day. Um, I started noticing in frat that all of my connective tissue issues came roaring back to life. Crazy things like chronic knee pain and Achilles tendon pain, which used to be disabling and heart issues. And guess what? My neck started to feel loose and wobbly and crackle and crinkle and be a problem. Now, because I was only in the frat for a short period of time, I'm hoping that it resolves. But potentially, if I stayed in it for a week, a month, a year, I might end up being one of those people that have to wear a neck brace and get that surgery. Now, I'm not saying these, I'm not pointing the finger and saying these people made a mistake and they're bad and they are stupid. I always have to put these disclaimers in because I know someone's going to email me and have a complaint. You know, it's like when you're a politician and you have, you know, 200,000 constituents and you have to think about every word you say. The podcast would probably be a lot better if I didn't do that. But I know several mold avoiders who have not learned how to recognize frat yet and who even live in it. And they seem to be the ones who end up with the most neck problems and need this neck surgery. Now, that's not a scientific statement. I haven't done placebo controlled trials and everything. But to me, it is a very, very, very strong hypothesis. I would not be reporting it if I did not think that was the case. So this is really important stuff. If you have mold illness and you're susceptible to mold toxicity, you're in that bag, that category, right? You're not a diabetes patient. You're you're not a um, brain cancer patient. You're a moldy. A moldy is a thing that is specific. A lot of people want to make up their own rules and say, well, I think kind of like I'm sort of a moldy, but I kind of also have this multiple chemical sensitivity. And yeah, my doctor says he thinks I have Lyme disease. What I'm telling you is that most likely if you have mold illness, that's the root underlying cause. And you can wipe all the other stuff off the table and just focus on mold. And if you do it right, pretty soon you'll realize that the mold is the main thing. And I'm not saying that genetics and nutrition and stuff don't matter. Um, I'm just saying that in our current understanding of the way this stuff works, mold is the bottom issue. <clears throat> so if you are a moldy and you are a moldy, then chances are frat is going to be potentially very dangerous for you. And it also causes a number of other things to happen. I started getting diarrhea, crazy diarrhea when I was in this frat, hadn't been in it in two years, um, <clears throat> and a whole bunch of other symptoms. 
And one of the main symptoms that I will report, even though I don't like to talk about symptoms, is sort of like this narcolepsy where when you're driving through it, you just like want to fall asleep and you haven't slept in three days. And you're totally convinced that your body is really absolutely exhausted. You just ran a marathon. You haven't slept in three days and you think, oh, my gosh, what's happening to me? And you take a nap and it doesn't make it better. And you go to sleep and it doesn't make it better. And then you drive out of the frat, which sometimes can be 100 miles. And you're not tired anymore. You don't need naps anymore. And your body doesn't hurt anymore and your neck isn't wobbly and doesn't hurt anymore unless it's already been so damaged by so much frat that you, that there's no turning back, which is something I don't really know a lot about because my neck thankfully is not at that point yet. Frat is different than MT. Frat is different than MT. Frat is different than MT. It's different. It's different in your warning signs. It'll be different in the consequences and the after effects. And it's different because it's usually more widespread. Um, there can be some areas where mystery toxin is very widespread, like San Diego, where you know it's just so much mystery toxin that you can find it for 100 miles. But in general, mystery toxin isn't like that. And in general, frat is like that. <clears throat> so frat is usually, fi- usually found near forests. When forests burn and the tankers drop fire retardant on them, it changes the biome of the forest. And that's what causes frat. Now, people are going to be tempted to say, well, Brian, but but why aren't you talking about, you know, drinking water out of lead pipes? That's important, too. Or, or Brian, why aren't you talking about, like, um, vaccines? Like, come on. why? Like, again, listen to what I'm saying. For people who have mold illness and go through the process of doing mold avoidance and get two, three, four, five years into it, they realize that there are not three, five, 10, 15, 20 things that are the problem. There's just a couple. And if you avoid them, you become a lot more like a normal person. And yes, normal people do like to eat organic. Sure, that's great. But it's not the cause of mold illness. It's not the cause of your chronic health issues. It's not the cause of your debilitation. It's not the reason you can't go to work. It's not the reason you can't get out of bed. It's not the reason you can't talk to your kids because you can't remember their names. It's not the reason you can't tolerate foods and that if a drop of perfume hits you from three miles away, you go into anaphylactic shock. It's these super toxins. Why is it frat and that super toxin? Why is it not um, the chemicals that they use to repave a highway like blacktop chemicals? I don't know. It just is. A lot of stuff in mold avoidance just is. And I'm not saying people shouldn't ask why, because of course it's good to have an inquisitive mind. But the people who seem to be the most successful are the ones who, yes, maybe they ask why, but mostly they focus on just following the rules and believing that it's been been studied and experienced and it's not made up. I, I didn't do that my first year. I really wish I would have. So... <clears throat> If you can find an experienced mold avoider who can send you to an area with a lot of frat, not really a little bit because you might miss it, but a lot of frat, and you pick up on it, now you will know what your warning signs of frat are. That's very important to know that. And then go ahead, hang out in it for a while. Go camping. Stay in it. It might take you a while, like a year or two of mold avoidance before you really feel what frat does to your body because early on in mold avoidance... The body's just kind of freaking out about everything. We call that intensification. It's when the body's freaking out about things that really don't even matter that much, like, um, you know, fresh clothing from Walmart, the plastic wrap on them or something does not matter. It's inconsequential. And I'm not saying you shouldn't avoid that stuff. The, The prevailing wisdom is that early in mold avoidance, 
you really should sort of listen to your reactions and maybe that intensification is important and your body really does need a break from all of that stuff. I don't really know. But later on in mold avoidance, your body gets very specific. And so later on might be a you might be more able to perceive frat and the damage of frat. And in my last podcast, I talked about how my reactivity to all of that little stuff decreased a lot over the last year, but my reactivity to frat and MT actually increased or became more defined, more stark. And I don't think that's a bad thing. It's the body finally waking up and telling you, dude or dudette, This is the stuff that's the problem. Now that we've had a year or two to heal, now that we've had a year or two to um, do clean house and heal, these are the reasons you were sick, frat and MT. Don't do it again. Don't go there. You know, it's like, imagine if you had never seen a dog before and you went into a pet store and all the dogs were barking and growling at you. Maybe you would be scared of all dogs because you'd never seen a dog and you're like, oh my gosh, they all have teeth. They're slobbering, they're barking, they're throwing themselves at the cage. Like, I'm scared of all dogs. But if you hung out with dogs for like six months or something, you would learn which dogs are harmful. Like, you'd be like, you'd see like the, gosh, I'm so bad with dog names. You'd see the lab and the golden retriever and you'd be like, you know, I'm not scared of those guys anymore because they... Um, they didn't hurt me. They just kind of want to play. But then you see a pit bull and sorry, pit bull lovers. I got, I've been attacked by pit bulls. I don't like pit bulls. I think they should be illegal. They're dangerous. They lock their jaws and they will shake back and forth if they've decided they don't like you until they tear you to pieces. I hate pit bulls. I don't hate the actual dog. Like if I saw a pit bull on the road that was lost and needed to go home, I would help him go home. Like I don't hate like the physical dog. You know what I mean? Like I would... I would rescue a pit bull and like feed it. You know, like I'm not like a cruel person, but like I hate the breed. Like I don't think they should be, I shouldn't say I hate it. They shouldn't be domestic animals because if they change their mind about you, which they can and do sometimes, they're extremely dangerous. They can kill adult men and 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 rip your legs to shreds. Actually, after I got bit by these two pit bulls, which was miraculous that I got out of it, um... I researched pit bulls a lot and even got like on this six hour YouTube binge where I was watching pit bull attacks. And there was one pit bull attack where this pit bull decided that it wanted to attack this guy and it locked its uh, jaw on his arm bone, the bone in his arm. And by the time the police got there, this guy's bone looked like um, a McDonald's McChicken nugget, like just blood and tendons hanging out. And the cops shot the dog like five times. And as the dog was dying, its last breath, sorry if this is gruesome, but I think it's an appropriate analogy. As the dog was dying in its last breath, the dog was still shaking back and forth, ripping this guy's arm to shreds. Like it wasn't until every bit of life had left the pit bull that it stopped shredding this guy's arm. So if you've never met dogs you are going to want to know the difference between breeds. And that's actually a really good analogy for intensification. Intensification is like in the first two, three, four years, I'm sorry, that's too long. First three to six to nine to 18 months of mold avoidance. For me, it was about two years of mold avoidance. 
it's like you're in a pet store and you're seeing dogs for the first time and your body doesn't really know which ones are important. Is it diesel fumes that are important? Is it this? Is it that? Should I do my laundry? What about this? How, should I wash my sleeping bag? I, I feel a little HT on my shoe. Like, do I need to throw, my, throw away my shoes? Is this bad? But like by the time you get, I don't even do mold avoidance anymore, you guys. I only do frat and MT avoidance. I have mold, little bits of mold all over the place. I have a little bit of HT. I've got a little bit of this, I've got a little bit of that. There's mold in my shower. Like your body eventually tells you which dogs are dangerous. It tells you, it says, Hey, that pit bull over there, that pit bull, if he changes his mind about you, he's dangerous. And that's a great analogy. If you guys can remember that. And so frat is one of the pit bulls. It is dangerous. And, and it's not a golden retriever, right? It's not failing to eat organic food for a couple years it is dangerous like a bullet to your brain at least to me it is maybe you know a lot of people think that if you didn't like the toxins you grew up in are the most problematic which may be true um if you didn't like i grew up frat is often found by ski resorts because they spray ski resorts with um fire toxin fire retardant you know, to keep the fire, the forest fires away from people and runs and buildings and lodges and fancy ski condos and $4 million ski mansions. <clears throat> Frat is often not just found in forests, but it's usually found by ski resorts and by fancy houses. You know, if you, if you're in the middle of absolute nowhere and there's a forest fire, usually not always, none of this stuff is a hard and fast rule, but, but usually, um, you're, you're, it's going to be less likely to find frat. The, the, the forest service isn't going to bother dropping a whole lot of chemicals. Sometimes they will. It just depends. But if there's like houses everywhere or a ski resort or some sort of civilization, it's a lot more likely. And we don't actually know for sure what causes frat. We don't know. We think it's fire retardant that changes the biome, not the fire retardant itself, remember. Um, but we, we don't even know that for sure. And that's why if you are obsessed with asking why, you might end up staying sick. What you should really be obsessed with is asking how. In multivoidance, how is a much more useful question than why. So I feel like I've covered a lot of this pretty well, but I still feel kind of like I don't want to end this podcast until I give you guys a little more specifics about frat. Um, but it's so hard to be specific because a lot of this stuff is, is things you just kind of have to learn on your own. First of all, um, if, you, if you're afraid you're in frat, one thing to do would be to go to areas that don't have trees. Like if you go to a desert, and remember, you might have to be 30, 40, 50, 70 miles away. Um, if you go to an area that doesn't have trees, or, or even junipers or shrubs, like literally no trees, like I'm thinking of like, um, like the middle of Nevada or something, you're going to be pretty sure there's no frat there, 98% sure. So that's one way to kind of get clear of it and test it. Um, mold avoiders should endeavor to be clear of frat and clear of MT for as long as possible before they seek a place to settle permanently because that gives you the skill to identify it. The longer you're away from it, the more unmasked to it you become, but also because it heals you of those toxins and, and maybe makes them less less damaging or, or, or the same amount of damaging, but it heals some of the damage that was done. <clears throat> so if you were to compare and con contrast frat and mt um mt can be in plumes like 
like a sewer plume that's coming out of in front of someone's house or a, you know, drifting in the wind. Frat does not tend to blow in the wind either. I mean, it can spread, but it tends to just be more widespread in general rather than like a plume of MT that kind of blows in the wind. Um, one other huge difference is frat does not tend to contaminate your belongings. Oh my gosh, I almost forgot to mention that. I'm so glad I remembered. Frat does not tend to contaminate things. If it does, it's extremely mild and goes away quickly. Um, so that's a huge difference. MT can contaminate things so badly that people have to get rid of them. But frat does not tend to do that. So it's safer to go into an area with frat to feel what it feels like than to do that with, with MT. That's a huge difference. One cross contaminates, one doesn't. <clears throat> there are probably a lot of other differences too. But what I'm hoping this podcast does really is is gets you interested in asking questions and pursuing this, asking people on the forum um, doing your research, reading the books, reading the literature. My podcast is not really intended to be like an instruction manual on like how to build a dresser. Like step one, you take out the board A and you screw it into board B and then you take out the bracket. Like it's not intended to really be a manual. It's more intended to be, to cover these broad, <clears throat> wide, deep concepts that, that are, that can be so overwhelming and confusing and then from there, people can sort of dig in deeper. And the reason is because um, there's, I've said this before, my podcasts seem to be repeating themselves. So if you guys think I should just be done making these all together, because you've got everything you need to get, then tell me that. Um, <clears throat> but the concepts are, are kind of the same over and over again. And I had to be reminded of them a thousand times. So maybe you need to be reminded of them a few times. <clears throat> but so the podcast isn't intended to be um, uh, totally um, thorough. <clears throat> um, what I was going to say is I think that people, th this mold avoidance is such a paradigm change. I'm borrowing Lisa Petterson's organization name, paradigm change, that it's like kind of like a lifetime of learning. You need different mentors. You need to read. You need to experience. Like it's kind of like getting your PhD. <clears throat> so I think the part that I'm sort of like good at, or at least I don't completely suck at, is these broad overviews. Um, there, Like I said, there is some disagreement about if we should even name these toxins. Um, because they're silly names like frat and like mystery toxin that don't really mean anything. But I think we should name them. And it's the same reason why, you know, I, and again, this is so funny. I'm saying this same thing on a podcast that I've said before, but I really think the repetition will help you guys. I actually think it's important to repeat this stuff. I literally, when I was new to this, I could not put this stuff together and I had to be told a hundred times. And it wasn't because I was dumb. It's you're sick and you're brain fogged and it's weird. Um, but I've said this before that <clears throat> even if you're a caveman and you don't have any science or you don't know anything, and um, you get bit by a tiger one day and your wife drowns the next day in the water, you might name those things. You might not call it drowning and tiger and you might not know what lungs are and you might not know what heartbeat is, but you know water, drowning, bad, tiger, bite, bad, in whatever language you use. Mushka, blaska, boo. You know, like that's what we're saying when we say mystery toxin and frat. We're saying we're probably... 50 years or 20 years or 10 years ahead of science understanding this just like the caveman 
is ahead of sci- of his science understanding why drowning occurs. But that doesn't mean it isn't dangerous, and naming it helps us sort of warn our other caveman friends. Hey, John, watch out for drowning, right? Like, and we are caveman in the sense that we're primitive in the timeline of science understanding this stuff. And so um, we, we, like, you can still warn your friend about something dangerous, even if you don't know all of the science behind it, right? Like, that's kind of like human nature, like trying to keep people safe. So I don't really think it's silly at all that we have silly names for these things because we're using our own human curiosity and observation and experiences to um, avoid danger. And so by naming these and having different names for them, um, we are, are, are helping each other to understand. And I do think that it's appropriate to have different names for toxins. Personally, I have another podcast episode on that. I respect the people that believe that, that you shouldn't name them. Um, I've just, my own personal opinion is that it's very helpful to name them and give them placeholder names like frat and MT until we know exactly what they are scientifically, which could be tomorrow or it could be 10 years. Um, because it allows us to, um, they're different. Frat doesn't contaminate. MT does, right? Like that's a big deal. Um, that is important to know. So anyway, I'm not going to defend that anymore. Defend the naming. Hopefully you understand it by now. And because I don't really take notes before my podcast, I'm probably missing a few things about frat. Um, but it is something to be concerned about. It is a pit bull, not a golden retriever. And I hope that if you decide to pursue mold avoidance, um, which I'm not recommending that you do, there's pros and cons of pursuing it in the first place. But if you do decide to pursue mold avoidance, I hope that you will ask your questions about frat. Like as you're listening to this podcast, write down your questions and ask them to experience mold avoiders on whatever forums you're on and say, Hey, you know, I heard this in a podcast. What do you guys think? And don't take my word for it. Go find out for yourself what you think. Um, these podcasts. Oh, you know, I just thought of a really good way to explain this. My podcasts are designed this is brilliant. Gosh, I hate calling myself brilliant because I'm only brilliant about once every 17 years, but this is one of the times. Now, see, now I'm going to get hate mail about you. Brian's arrogant. He's, he's a jerk. He's an asshole. See, you can't win with this. You just can't, you literally can't win. It's kind of like a politician. If they like had, you know, like if they kissed a girlfriend, like, you know, 43 years ago, and then like later, um, you know, someone says like you abuse that person and you're like, no, no, I, I just kissed him goodnight. Like, like you, you just can't, you're, you're just under constant scrutiny and everybody like is looking for some reason to throw you under the bus. Fine, let me, let me tell you something, guys. You guys make 30-minute podcasts and try not to sound um, dumb or, you know, embarrassed once in a while. Go for it, right? Like, try it. But anyway, I digress. I'm not perfect, you know, whatever. Um, so what I was going to say is, so what I was going to say is what, what my podcasts are really designed to do, what I'm just realizing now, is to give you just enough information to ask the right questions. Just enough information to ask the right questions. Because it, it in mold avoidance, it is possible to go down the rabbit trail of asking the wrong questions. And I'm not, and of course, there's, I do agree with the statement, there's no such thing as a bad question. I do agree with that. But because mold avoidance 
already takes so much time to learn and is so like overwhelming, I think it really helps to start off asking the right questions. And like like one question that you don't want to ask is which mold test should I use for my moldy house? Like, should I use an Ermi test or should I use like an air test? And I'm not saying that those mold tests have zero value, of course. Like you you might learn something useful about your house by doing a mold test. It's most of us have found that's not the case, but like whatever. I'm not making like a carte blanche, you know, statement about that. But um we we know that there's better ways to decide if you're in mold that's harming you. There's better ways than a mold test. And the better way is is doing a mold sabbatical, which is discussed in the reading and in one of my podcasts. So we we know that like that's that might not be the best question for people to be asking. Um, is is like what mold test should I use for my house? And there's a lot of examples of that of questions that aren't like intrinsically bad questions, but there's like better things to be asking about. So I hope my podcast gets people just enough information to kind of get their feet on the right road and going in the right direction. You know, you guys have all probably read that book, Oh, the Places You'll Go, like a famous book. Read it to my kids a thousand times. It's got life lessons in it. Gosh, now I want to start quoting from that book because there's so many lines I have memorized. But I'm not going to do that because I'm already at 33 minutes. But, you know, in the book, like, like what road am I going down? Um, and, you know, that's kind of what my podcast is, is supposed to do is just kind of help your feet start walking down the right road. And then you're going to have to take over from there because like a PhD student has to be kind of self-motivated. Um, so there you go. There is the topic of frat. Frat is either equal to or slightly less harmful than MT. And I do, again, people are going to fight with me and say that MT is more important and that it opens the door for the damage that frat does. And if people were never in MT or never in a moldy house, they would never be susceptible to frat, which may be true. I'm not disputing that. But once you are down the rabbit hole far enough, um, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's like someone with 15 gunshot wounds you know, saying which bullet hit me first, like, do, does it matter? Is the, has a doctor ever asked what bullet hit me first? No, they don't. They never ask that. Maybe, maybe a, an FBI investigator will want to know to try to track down the bad guy. But like, if you're in the OR, the hospital room, they don't care what bullet hit you first. They just want to know, like, what do I need to do surgery? Do we need to like give you IV fluids? Like what's going on? Most people who are doing mold avoidance are kind of at that point where they need like surgery and IV fluids. They don't really need to be asking like, well, wait a minute. Did this come first or did that come first? So, um, hope this has been helpful for you guys. My podcasts are kind of a rambling style. Um, when I feel kind of in, you know, passionate and I have some insight on a topic, I like to make a podcast. So, you know, a number of disclaimers for this podcast. First of all, um, this is not a thorough discussion of frat. I don't want people to give me hate mail and say, well, you missed this. So your podcast is worthless. Okay, fine. Then you go make a podcast. You're welcome to, but, um, it, it's an overview of frat, um, and, and kind of to whet your appetite. There are good resources on frat. Um, and, and also I don't want to overcomplicate this for you guys either, because like, you don't have to become like a frat expert <clears throat> to avoid it. You don't have to like obsess about knowing everything about it and getting all the answers. And like, that's kind of also the wrong question to ask. Like, how do I learn every little thing? 
This is really important, guys. Mold avoidance is a learn by doing. You have to get your body into different locations to test and see how you react. I have a friend who's started mold avoidance and isn't doing very well in his location, and he's um, asking all these deep questions and because it's in our human nature, right? We like want to sit on our couch with our phone and ask questions and like analyze, but like, that's not how mold avoidance works. You don't get to stay in the comfort of and safety of your home or your comfort zone or your location. It's called the locations effect. Mold avoidance is all about changing your location. Your body has to move to different areas to feel what good is and what bad is. And oftentimes you have to do that over and over again to say, hmm, was I right about that? Or this place changed because the weather changed or the season changed. Um, That's, there's so many, and it makes it very hard. It makes it very hard. And that's why I don't always recommend that everyone on planet earth do mold avoidance because it is very hard, but it also can be very miraculous. It's hard, but it can be miraculous. So you decide if it's worth it. I'm not going to decide for you. Um, Oh, that reminds me of one quick little note that that's another difference between frat and MT. I have noticed that frat flares up more in the summer and MT seems to flare up more in the winter. You know, we call it the November effect. So that's a whole different topic, right? Like, or that's a whole different difference between the two. Frat tends to flare up more in the summer. In my experience, I'm not saying everybody would agree. And MT is tends to be more of a winter toxin in a lot of places. Of course, MT can also be a summer toxin because the sun can burn up all of the MT on the ground that came out from, you know, mold plumes and, and make it volatile and create MT mini plumes and gases that blow all over the place. Eric called it a sunny day slam, sunny day slam, where the sun burst the spores of MT on the ground and all the mycotoxins inside gets released. So there's a lot of nuance to this. And that's why you have to become the expert because the conditions change and your body changes and you have to change your understanding and follow the breadcrumbs. You can't just get it handed out to you and handed over to you. And it's hard. It's, it's, it's not easy. That's why I tell people, you know, if you can get better and get your health back without doing mold avoidance, more power to you. Like, I'm not saying that someone who's healed and recovered should do mold avoidance. Like most people who do this, like they're on their deathbed and they like had no other choice and they're grateful for it. Like mold avoidance is a hard challenge. I don't think it's easy, but it sure is better than having no control over my declining health, no control control over my debilitation. I would rather have some control and know what's going on. And you may not want to do that. So um, we're hitting 40 minutes here. Um, so my last little disclaimers here, this is not a thorough treatment of the topic of frat. This is also my opinion and my experience. And if other experienced avoiders disagree, I respect their opinion and their experience. And I do not believe that mine is the end-all be-all. Um, this podcast is to express my own individual personal um, experience with this stuff. And also the normal one, uh, I'm not a doctor. I am a recovering mold illness patient and a journalist. So if you have medical questions, please consult a doctor. Thanks guys.